This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's Friday, March 17th. They said it was the U.S. military's fault until the U.S. brought the receipts. We start here. The Pentagon releases footage of Russian fighter jets taking out a U.S. drone. They were being aggressive, they were harassing, they were being reckless. But how much is an unmanned aircraft worth to either side? President Biden gives TikTok an unfiltered demand. This is a big move and certainly marks a major escalation. If regulators do not feel bonita, a ban could be next. And lots of people are nervous about artificial intelligence, including the people creating it. People should be happy that we're a little bit scared of this. You're a little bit scared. A little bit, yeah. You personally. An exclusive interview with the human behind ChatGPT. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. The Black Sea is not quite an open ocean. It's surrounded by lots of countries, including Russia to the east, Ukraine to the north, Turkey to the south. But once you're there, it's treated like any other huge body of water. As long as you're not right up on somebody else's coastline, you're in international waters. And so when a U.S. drone went down earlier this week after colliding with Russian fighter jets, the stakes immediately went sky high. Like if another country shot down an American aircraft over the Atlantic or Pacific Oceans, that's a big deal. Russia denied it had done anything to instigate this crash, but yesterday, the U.S. put out video of the incident itself to prove what happened. This footage is silent, but crystal clear. Let's start the day with ABC's chief global affairs correspondent, Martha Raddatz. Martha, what is in this video? The video is pretty extraordinary, and I've seen a lot of video from intercepts when they're just flying by harassing or just if Americans are checking out someone else. This is amazing in that, first of all, it is so clear, and it is so clear that you can see that Russian fighter jet approach that drone. Hmm. The video shows a couple of times it actually approached 19 different times in a 30-minute period. But the video shows the Russian fighter jet zooming in to the drone. It's the drone's camera uh, that's pointing backwards. So you see the propeller the whole time, the propeller that was damaged that eventually sent it into the ocean. The fighter jet comes swooping up and sprays fuel uh, over the drone. Clearly what the Russians were trying to do is somehow damage the drone's ability to do surveillance. So it comes swooping up with this big contrail behind it of fuel. You, you see the video break up momentarily, uh, pixelate. Then you see a second pass. And the final pass, for sure, because this did in the drone. And you see that Russian fighter jet again approaching practically straight up, practically vertical. So you see the bottom of that fighter jet and a big stream of fuel, and then it goes dead for about 60 seconds. There's no video. Then when it comes back, they manage to get the image back, these drone operators who are watching in real time. When the image comes back, you can see one of those propellers is bent. And that's what did in the drone. And 
How does this square with what the Russians are saying? Because the Russians had basically said, like, no, it wasn't us. Must be your guys' problem. Exactly. The Russians the Russians are saying, no, it wasn't us. And it's like, watch this and tell us it's not true. I think what the Russians were trying to say is that it was doing some sharp maneuvering. That drone looks like it's going straight and level and doing nothing else but going straight and level. You don't see any sharp maneuvers. So the Russians do have egg on their face on this or fuel on their on their drones. I, I, I don't know what you want to say, but um, th- this pretty much uh, seals the deal. I guess I'm also trying to figure out why, Martha, like, would would this be something that pilots, Russian pilots would do without approval? Because, like, there is a big difference between a pilot getting confused about where the airspace begins and ends and, the, like, the Kremlin telling him to take the thing down. Do we know what it was? You know, the, the Pentagon and, and officials we have spoken to at the Pentagon, including an Air Force official, do not think the pilot meant to bring it down. It clearly demonstrates uh, either poor airmanship or reckless behavior. Because just from an airman standpoint, why would you hit another aircraft with your aircraft in the sky? They were being aggressive. They were harassing. They were being reckless. But I don't think that pilot meant to actually collide with that drone because that would be a a real escalation. And Russia doesn't want an escalation with the U.S. right now any more than we want an escalation with them. I think it's really key that, uh, that we're able to pick up the phone and engage each other. Uh, and I think uh, that uh, that will help to uh, prevent miscalculation going forward. And you've even heard that in the language from the Russians. You know, they'll they'll blame us. It's not our fault. It's your fault. At the same time, it's good we're keeping diplomatic channels open. Wait, wait, but if you don't want to escalate things, why even harass this thing in the first place? Like, what was the point of the Russian actions that, that led to all this? Well, I, I think in many ways it's it's all about Ukraine, right? They They want to push the United States as far back as possible. This is a, a Russian military that is scrambling on the ground in Ukraine, is clearly um, on its back heels, and I do worry about uh, Russia over-aggressiveness. It's kind of this thing, well, I know you don't want to escalate, we don't want to escalate, but we're going to be really aggressive in the air, and maybe you'll move back a little bit. We'll take you sort of up to the line to show you you're not welcome here. Yeah, exactly. Kind of going up to the line to show you're you're not welcome here, because they don't want any more help from the United States than Ukraine is already getting. So I think that's really at the core of this. And lastly, there was kind of a race to get to this drone once it plummeted down to the Black Sea. And it seems like Russia won that race. How much intelligence value could this drone provide to them? What are they looking for? The Russians managed to get there pretty quickly because they're in the Black Sea and we're not really in the Black Sea. But the drone broke up when it hit the water. As normal, we would take uh, and we did take uh, mitigating measures. Uh, So we are quite confident that whatever... Uh, whatever was of value is no longer of value. Chairman Milley, Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, said we're really not worried about them getting hold of anything because the drone operators did manage to essentially guide it down into the Black Sea. They had they had enough control over it to guide it, and they, they took it as far away as possible from where it collided in, in the air. And when it hit the water, they wiped it, scrubbed it, There's nothing on that drone, they say, that the Russians could get their hands on. And if they do get their hands on it, they say it's inoperable. In other words, they don't think they can reverse engineer it or finding something that will reveal too much. All right, Martha Raddatz, thanks so much. You bet. 
Next time on Start Here, does President Biden look like he cares about what's trending? The White House issues its own TikTok challenge after the break. We all know there are things in life you got to compromise on. Like when I want burritos, but my wife wants salad, the compromise is we get salads. But when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who doesn't take the time to really hear your health concerns or who's in a rush to end your appointments. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance, so literally no compromises because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc dot com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more or I'd read a book or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours. But the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. Around the world, governments are increasingly showing how nervous they are about TikTok. Remember, the social media app is owned by a Chinese parent company called ByteDance. ByteDance has always insisted that the data for the American version of TikTok is kept completely separate from China. It never even passes through China, they say. Well, tell that to these officials. The Chinese Communist Party has proven over the last few years that it is willing to lie about just about everything. Yesterday, the UK made a similar move to what the US and Canada have already done. The app is now banned on all government employees' phones. Mr. Deputy Speaker, our security must always come first. But now the world is keeping its eyes on the US once again because the White House has taken a new step, essentially issuing a TikTok ultimatum. A TikTok ultimatum. ABC senior White House correspondent Mary Bruce is at the West Wing. Mary, what is the message from the White House here? Yeah, they're putting TikTok on notice. I mean, this is a big move and certainly marks a major escalation. The Biden administration is warning TikTok that it could be banned in the U.S. if its Chinese parent company does not sell its stake in the U.S. app. Look, we've expressed concerns over China's uh, potential use of software platforms that could endanger or threaten uh, America's safety and their national security. So that is the president's concern. It's a clear sign that the White House, as we know, has grown increasingly concerned about the safety of Americans' data on this wildly popular app. I mean, more than 100 million people are using TikTok every month in the U.S. 
And that has raised a lot of fear within this administration, given the safety concerns surrounding this app. And we know they've been negotiating an agreement with TikTok over the last two years, but this is the first that we know of that they have threatened an outright ban like this. Now, needless to say, TikTok uh, has a very different view of this. In a statement, they say a forced sale doesn't solve the problem and that a change in ownership wouldn't impose any new restrictions on access to data. They insist they are already taking steps to boost transparency and to deal with some of these safety concerns. But Mary, I always come back to this when the U.S. says like they're worried about the national security concerns. What are the actual concerns? Because you can say national security, but like, what do they actually think will happen if more and more Americans keep using TikTok on their phones? Yeah, the concern is how much influence Beijing and the Chinese government have over this app and how much access they're able to get to Americans' data through this app, right? The real fear here is that, that Beijing could influence the videos that Americans try to see, that they could use that to gain political influence or, or even to spy, that they could get a sense of Americans' locations and what kinds of things they are seeing, how they're consuming mm. their information, what kind of information they're consuming. So there's a whole host of security concerns here. And we are also seeing a bit of an evolution, it seems, from this White House. Just back in February, the president said he didn't know if TikTok should be banned. Now we know that this warning, this threat is on the table. So clearly this is becoming more of a concern. And you have also seen the White House come out just last week in support of bipartisan legislation that could be used to ban TikTok. We need a more comprehensive approach to evaluating and mitigating these threats posed by these foreign technologies from these adversarial nations. With that in mind, I'm proud to stand here with some of our co-sponsors on the Restrict Act. So they're leaning more in this direction. That was my question, Mary, is is, because every tech expert was saying for months, like the government could ban TikTok in the U.S., but it's so unlikely because that would take so it would be so difficult, both politically and difficult. Technically, like, how how do you how do you ban an app like this? It's a really good question. And look, while this is a move that's being considered, we don't know if they're actually going to go through with this. Um, I think right now they're probably just seeing what China's reaction is to the threat uh, of it being banned in the U.S. Uh, And I think also the administration is probably certainly well aware that it would face a host of legal challenges, I'm sure. So it's a really hard thing, I would imagine, to pull off. And also there are huge questions about how much impact it would have. Given how widespread this app is, uh, they already have a lot of data. And once all that information is out there and accessible to the Chinese, I'm not sure, quite frankly, if it's really easy to just put back in the box like that. So there are a lot of challenges surrounding all of this. All right. Mary Bruce there at the White House. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. If you want to talk about tech changing the world, TikTok is one version of that. But perhaps the most seismic event in recent tech history happened a few months ago when a new chatbot came online. A stunning development in the world of artificial intelligence. The new AI chat engine, ChatGPT. It spits out answers to complex questions in just a matter of seconds. If Google's search engine revolutionized the world by understanding what you wanted to read online, ChatGPT is able to understand what you wanted to write. Engineers have long been working on artificial intelligence programs to learn how language works. Siri and Alexa had years-long head starts to learn how to talk like a person. But ChatGPT came along and blew them all out of the water. You've said AI will likely eliminate millions of jobs. Many people are going to ask, why on earth did you create this technology? I think it can do the opposite of all of those things, too. 
Well, now this week, the group that shocked the world unveiled its latest version. And in an exclusive interview, ABC's chief technology correspondent, Rebecca Jarvis, went to San Francisco to learn how this works. Rebecca, thanks for being with us. First off, can you just explain what ChatGPT is and why it's considered such a game changer? It's pretty mind-blowing from almost every vantage point. GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, which just rolls right off the tongue, I know. But the whole idea here is that this is technology, ChatGPT, created by a company called OpenAI, run by a person named Sam Altman. He's 37 years old. How does it work? By ingesting a huge amount of text you know, a significant fraction of the internet, this AI system can learn the underlying representations of what these words mean, how they relate. And what that ultimately looks like if you're communicating with it is you're essentially communicating with a chatbot. You write a question and it spits out information. I think we sent you a picture of a houseplant. Let's diagnose what's wrong with it. This takes into consideration things uh, that you ask it. There are several issues that could be causing your houseplant to be unhealthy. One, the leaves are drooping, some are turning down, which could be a sign of underwatering or root rot. I asked it to analyze taxes. I put a bunch of tax information, tax code, into the model. It came out with an estimate of what a family would be taking as their standard deduction. So reasoning through them and coming to the standard deduction is $24,000. So I asked it uh, to write me a bedtime story in rhyming for my daughter, Isabel, who's four years old, uh, in love with the color orange. She wore an orange dress with a bow so grand and hopped through her town in her orange wonderland. And Rebecca, just so I'm clear, like it's essentially sifting through the Internet, like sifting through everything there and trying to figure out like how to reasonably respond to your prompt. Yes. And but but it's also imploring some degree of reasoning, uh, something that we really have yet to fully see from technology. So, Mm. for example, they, they have this portion right now of chat GPT. Their new version is GPT four. It has the capacity to analyze a photo and from that photo recommend food. Now, this isn't widely available. They only have it available right now to a small group of users, and they're looking at it uh, for people who are visually impaired. You can take a picture of this refrigerator, yes. and then ChatGPT will tell you what you could make. That's right. yeah. so wow. We can, we can and we asked it. What should I make right now for a healthy snack? I see that you have some bread, some mozzarella cheese, Mm -hmm. tomatoes, and mayonnaise. You can make a simple grilled cheese sandwich with these ingredients. It has this capacity to reason through data. And up until this point, we haven't really seen technology that has the capacity to do that. I I wanted to ask you kind of about what are the risks here? Because the baseline thing you keep hearing from people as they learn about this is basically just the concern that you might not know whose words, whose written words are real anymore, which came from a computer and which didn't because it's so effective. That's right. There's issues that come up with cheating. There are school districts who have said, we're not going to use this. How should schools be integrating this technology in a way that doesn't increase cheating, that doesn't increase laziness among students? Education is going to have to change, um, but it's happened many other times with technology. When we got the calculator, the way we taught math and what we tested students on, 
There's also this thing that they refer to as hallucinations, and that is when you're drawing from tons of data on the Internet, not all of that data is accurate. Well, so, and in a tone, Rebecca, that is so authoritative, right? Like as absolutely. humans, we're wired to kind of suss out, like, who knows what they're talking about. And, you know, at this point, you think the computer does know, and so you take that answer. Well, and also imagine that you see a couple of examples where it is accurate. I saw the example of it answering an SAT question that was accurate. The new version, GPT-4, scores in the top 10% uh, on the bar exam in the SAT. Um, The model will confidently state things as if they were facts that are entirely made up. We've been addressing this problem. Uh, We made a lot of progress now with GPT-4, but it's still a problem. After you start to trust the machine itself to do things properly, you may grow to trust it at a point where you really can't because it's it's sharing the wrong information. Well, and to be clear here, like the fear is not that it's like the Terminator scenario, right? Like not it, yet. Where robots decide to overthrow their <laughs> yeah. creators. That's not like the real risk that computer scientists are worried about. Yeah, it's it's exactly that's that's not where we are today. But that idea about consciousness and the technology gaining consciousness is a big one. It's both exhilarating as well as terrifying to people. I think people should be happy that we're a little bit scared of this. I think people should be happy. You're a little bit scared. A little bit, yeah. You personally. I I think if I said I were not, you should either not trust me or be very unhappy I'm in this job. And then there's the question about other nations, uh, other individuals who want to exploit the technology what role they could play. And it's certainly a conversation that OpenAI is having regularly with the government. Russia's Vladimir Putin talked about the technology and basically said, whoever gets this right controls humanity. We do worry a lot about authoritarian governments developing this and using it. Russia, China. Are you speaking to the government? You're in regular contact. Regular contact. And do you think they get it? More and more every day. And your reporting has been so great about sort of going past, like, everyone's first instincts. Everyone's first instincts are like, oh, it'll be fun to have it, like, write something for me. Or it'll be bad because people will be cheating. It really actually sounds like it's going to have much more profound consequences, this type of AI learning. But then that makes me wonder about how will people use it in jobs in the future? What are the creators think? And And will it effectively replace a lot of jobs? There is no doubt that this technology will be a jobs killer and a jobs creator. What we're already starting to see in the most basic sense workplaces do is integrate the technology into things like email writing, message writing. There are a couple of places that have gotten in trouble uh, by by writing messages that appeared on the surface to be heartfelt, but it turned out were written by chat GPT as opposed to a human being, at least in the in the early stages of it. So it can also help with taking in vast amounts of information and distilling it down to bullet points. And I've seen it now being used in hospitals, for example, who are trying to take in huge amounts of information and studies and research and asking the machine, okay, what are the key points? It doesn't mean, by the way, that the doctors aren't reading the full studies. They feel like they still need to, but it's a way to keep up in real time with the amount of information that is coming at you. Yeah, great series of interviews here in this exclusive. All right, Rebecca Jarvis, thank you so much. Thank you, Brad. I really appreciate the interest. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, if you're feeling lucky, raise a glass. One last thing is next. 
We've got the exclusive view behind the table. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And one last thing. Today is St. Patrick's Day, and as every Irishman knows, on St. Paddy's Day, there's always that guy who seems to command the room with a Guinness in his hand. This is my prize-winning toast. I can deliver it right now for you if you're Yeah, can you hit, for hit us with it? Yes. Um, that is Tom Ponton from Columbia, Maryland, the reigning champion for the Great Reunion Toast Contest sponsored by Guinness. When you're old and gray, nodding by the fire, and you have one last glass before you retire, it's not about wealth but the seeds that you've sown to the people you've loved and the friends that you've known. So let's raise a glass to our family and friends and to those who oppose us, well, let's make amends. For there's no use in crying, it's not a long stay. I'm not one for me lying. Happy St. Patrick's Day. By day, he works at a Catholic high school, but that didn't stop him from pouring a fresh pint and sharing some of his secrets. That's just part of my DNA. I feel like I'm just doing kind of what comes natural to me, you know? He says he grew up in an Irish-American neighborhood next to his grandmother from County Galway, where everyone was singing, praying, and toasting. Well, the Irish are known for their um, poetry and their songs and their literature and their blessings. Uh, and really, there's not a whole lot of difference between a blessing and a toast. As he grew up, he seemed to be able to pull William Butler Yeats poems out of thin air and tweak them on the spot. I mean, Chuck. Uh, one night before Christmas, I was out with some friends. I think I did five toasts in the course of the evening. But um, Wait, and you just have them ready to go? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure, I, I do. Nowadays, he's got toasts ready for generic gatherings, rites of passage, even random events like someone leaving the bar for the dentist. Okay, gingivitis, gingivitis, what can I say? My breath is funky, my teeth in decay. But I'll offer a toast with a glimmer of hope with help from me dentist and a wee bit of scope. <laughs> He says if you want to up your toasting game, rhymes are good, memorizing is way better than reading, and in part for that reason, brevity is key. No one wants to hoist that mug longer than necessary. What are the themes you look for in, in a good toast? Well, generally you're with other people, so it should be about friendship or being together. And I'll confess, I wasn't just interested in this because it's St. Patrick's Day. I wasn't just interested because Guinness is awarding 10000 bucks to champion toasters this year. No, I was interested because Start Here is turning five years old tomorrow. That's right, this wee show, which started off as a tiny operation, has grown to a larger staff, a devoted following, and more than 1,300 episodes. We've done interviews in all seven continents with 982 guests, plus an astronaut in orbit. Hopefully, we've been a source of news, knowledge, and curiosity. You're giving a sentiment, hey, we're all here together and we've made it out alive, or we've made it another year alive, you know, and that's... Uh... A toast is there to celebrate something. And when I look around our meetings, where our talented producers, managers, even our interns, pitch the stories that will impact and enrich our listeners the most every day, I can't help but be moved to say thank you. Thank you to the team, to you, the Start Here community. Well, what am I doing? Tom can probably say this better than I can. So let's have a round for all we hold dear. Send round the Guinness and spread round the cheer. For no matter the weather and no matter your views, we're all here together on behalf of ABC News. A very happy fifth anniversary to the team tomorrow. Happy St. Patty's Day to you today, which also, by the way, is the birthday of our producer, Kelly Therese. 
happy birthday to you. Start Here is produced by Kelly, of course, Jen Newman, Brenda Salinas Baker, Vika Aronson, Iru Ekpanobi, Cameron Chertavian, Anthony Ali, and Tara Gimble. Ariel Chester is our social media producer. Josh Cohan is director of podcast programming. I'm our managing editor. Laura Mayer is our executive producer. Thanks to Lakia Brown, John Newman, Liz Alessi, and our intern Amira Williams. Special thanks this week to Chris Berry, Taylor Dunn, Gianna Cousin, and Avery Harper. I'm Brad Milkey. Five years down. Let's see what happens next. See you next week. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.